welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Normally I'd ask that you step in, shake off the cold, and I'd maybe offer you a drink. But, given our current situation, I'm happy reaching out to you over the waves. Or rather, through the wires. But before we get started, I have a bone to pick with a handful of listeners. Last week I released another roundtable episode. We did this to help entertain listeners and maybe make our current situation melt away for an hour or so. But a few of you that disliked that free and completely optional material decided to leave me several negative reviews. You know, there's an easier, less damaging way to get your message across. You can email me, shoot us a message on one of our social media platforms, or if you don't like it, simply skip it. It's really not that hard. Don't ruin the fun for everyone else just so you feel special and important. Oh, and Ellen. Anything below a five-star on the internet is considered a bad review. All right, for the 99% of you that that does not apply to, I am sorry, but that rant had to happen. You know, I've been saying it for years that if you want fresh calls, I have to maintain that stellar rating. Otherwise, it's incredibly difficult to collect new listeners and harvest new stories. All right, on with the show. This week has been a bit of a long one, and it's only Wednesday. So tonight's episode is a grab bag episode. We literally don't know what we're going to get. So to kick things off this evening, we head south to the state of Florida. The following was submitted by Monica. Hi Derek, my name is Monica and I'm calling from Florida and I wanted to share a story about something that happened paranormal. So I'd say it's about five years ago in November, I worked for a charity and we were doing a fundraiser and uh, my colleague, her mom had probably passed away two years before or so. And so um, I was at the registration greeting the guests coming in, and one of my other coworkers, her mother, was gifted. She could see auras. She could talk to dead people and things like that. And so um, she came to the event, and she comes to me, and she says, who is that woman standing next to T? And I look over, because T was in, in, like, the foyer, the greeting area, and I'm like, there's no woman standing next to her. She goes, yes. She goes, there's a woman standing next to her. She said, and she says, she her name is Isa. And at that moment, I was like, oh, my gosh, because uh, Isa was uh, a nickname for T's mom, and there was no way that, my other friend and her name was um, Allison, who passed away. There was no way for Allison to know what her name was. And she's like, yeah, she's standing right next to T. And she's telling me she's so proud of her, what she's doing, the work, how hard she works, and, and look at what she, you know, how her successes are. And I was just like, oh, my gosh, this is, and I believed her because she just couldn't know that 
that nickname. There's no way. So I was able to get my friend T off for a moment, and I told her, and we both believe in messages from the universe and things of that nature, so we had this really great cry. And so then further on in the evening, I was talking to Allison, and she says to me, your abuelita is here, and that's, uh, you know, an affectionate name for Latinos, uh, for the grandma. And I was like, oh, my gosh. And she says, yeah. She says, why is your mom so obstinate? And I laugh because that is my mom. And she goes, she wants to see you happy again because you're just like her. And she just wanted me to let you know that she loves you, too. And it was just one of those really magical moments um, when someone just can share a story with you. And funny that her, my coworker, her daughter, would be like, oh, my mom's doing that again. But um, it was a great gift she had. She's since passed, and we miss her. And I thought it was a great story because it reminded me of the story I heard on your a podcast about the guy whose father's passed in the slip of paper uh, stuck out to him that had his dad's name and signature. And, yeah, those are ways that our loved ones... Um, let us know that they're around and they're thinking of us. So thanks for your podcast. I think it's awesome. Uh, you take care and be well. Bye. Thank you, Monica. A reminder to everyone that I have not listened to any of these calls. That is why it's called a grab bag episode. I only hear them once I finally dump them into the timeline. So essentially, I'm hearing them exactly the same way that you are. That said... This story is touching. For folks that have listened to the podcast for a while, you may have picked up on the fact that I've lost a lot of people over the past few years, some to old age and others to tragedy. That trend seems to be continuing as our extended family lost yet another. My cousin's young son was tragically murdered just last month, and if they happen to be listening, I'm thinking about you guys. So I can't help but think about encounters like this, and kind of wish and hope that maybe something like that would happen to me. There's certainly a long list of people that I would like to reach out to. A huge thanks for sharing your story, Monica. Not all of these need to be terrifying. Thanks again. But hopefully, some of these tonight are terrifying. So let's give Sarah's call from North Carolina a shot. This is what she submitted. Hi, my name's Sarah, and I live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I've just recently started listening to your podcast, and I'm really enjoying it. And I thought that I would share a couple of the stories of things that I've experienced. Um, back in 2004, I moved from the Midwest to a cabin on Shell Mountain in Sevierville, Tennessee, and lived there from the fall of 2004 until the fall of 2005 when I took a job in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I currently live. During that time, in the spring of 2005, I was coming to Charlotte quite often for job interviews. And my mom was with me. She was living with me and um, subsequently moved to Charlotte with me. But we would drive up here and stay in Charlotte for a day or so and then drive back, usually at nighttime. And 
one night, and this was in the spring, I can't tell you um, which day or month, but, you know, early spring before there was uh, a lot of leaves on the trees, we were driving back late at night, probably 9, 10 o'clock at night, and to um, Sevierville, and we were on Highway 40, just past Asheville, North Carolina, and the mountains. And all of a sudden, this panther, we were driving about 55 miles an hour, and there was four lanes on the highway there with Jersey Barrier in the center. And this panther is hauling ass across the road. It came from the left-hand side of the road to the to the right, which would be from the the west toward the east, and we saw it about the time that the the head was on the driver's side of the car. It was going so fast with us going fifty five miles an hour that that thing crossed the road right in front of the car and we did not hit it. The back on it, the body of it was the entire length of the front of the car. We were driving a Mazda Protégé. And the tail on that thing was probably just as long as the body. But we could see the back of it, both of us, just inches above the top of the vehicle, uh, the hood of the car, and anyway, it came, it went on across the road, and we didn't hit it, but it was so close to the front of the car, we thought we were, we were going to hit it, we thought that, you know, we were going to have a car accident from it, and um, as it, as we went on past, we both, my mom was driving, and we both looked at each other, and she was light as a sheet. And I was like, did you see that? She's like, I sure did. And she said, what was it? And I said, that was a panther. I said, that had to be a panther. Well, after moving here to Charlotte, I uh, work with some guys that go hunting. And I told one of them that story a few years late, you know, a few years after being here. And he told me that he and a buddy of his had been hunting up near... um, Uwari. They had a hunting, some hunting property up there that they leased, and they had been in the, and this is far away from Nashville, this is on the, you know, more toward the center of the state of North Carolina, and he said they, he was up in the tree stand and was, had, was hunting deer and saw a panther come out of the woods trailing a doe. And as soon as it went by, he got out of the tree stand and made a beeline for the truck. And he and his buddy had walkie-talkies. And he told his buddy, hey, you know, get you need to get back to the truck. And when he got to the truck, he told him, you know, that he had seen a cat. And they stopped at the ranger station to tell the rangers that there was a panther in the area. And the ranger laughed at him and said, we don't have panther in North Carolina you know, we haven't had panther in North Carolina for a really, really long time. They've been hunted to extinction. And um, anyway, we laughed about it, that there's still panthers in North Carolina. Another thing that happened when I was living in Sevierville, um, the cabin that I was renting on Shell Mountain outside of Sevierville near Jones Cove uh, in Tennessee, 
was um, about halfway up the mountain. It was a, a really nice new little cabin, and it had a um, um, a loft and a, and a middle floor, and then the downstairs was the basement that had been finished out into a bedroom, a bathroom, and a laundry room. And I was down there um, doing laundry, and this was probably in the fall, winter time of 2004, probably December, January time frame, because there had been there's a little bit of snow on the ground, and um, the, the laundry room had a door, and it went out underneath. Um, there was a covered deck on the middle floor that wrapped all around the house, around the cabin. And the laundry room had a door that went out, and then you stepped um, outside, and then when you stepped uh, into the laundry room. Um, from outside, there was another door that went into the bedroom, and then right there on the left was a door that went outside again, back out under that covered patio. And I was down there uh, doing a load of laundry, and I, there was a guy that we were renting the place from that lived in a house that was uh, probably just, you know, maybe... 50 to 100 yards away, and he would come over all the time and cut wood and, and do different things. So I was used to seeing him around, and um, I saw this, and he was a big guy. He was probably like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, and it was winter, so he always had on like this dark blue coat and overalls and stuff. And so I saw this figure out of the corner of my eye when I was standing in the laundry room out that door, and it was um, this, this big hulking figure, and I thought it was a guy, I thought it was this guy, um, walking around the corner of the house. And so I stopped what I was doing, because I wasn't expecting him to come over, and I was just going to, you know, look out the door and say hi. And um, I opened the door of that laundry room and stepped out under the patio, and it hit me when I stepped out that that couldn't have been him because I because as it went as that person went by, his shoulders were at the height of the door, which meant that it was at least seven and a half to eight foot tall. What I thought was a man, and I was like, "Oh my God, what did I just see?" And I went back inside real quick and locked that door and went around and looked out the the other door in the bedroom and there was an open space back out there and I saw the back of what I believe to be a Bigfoot walking on down the hill off into the brush and it was grayish in color and it was um, looked like a linebacker you know the stories that you hear it's hands were like arm length and hands were down to about as many. Um, it was just it, it was very hulking kind of I guess the way I would describe it the way it was, was walking and moving and um, it wasn't paying any attention to me or the place that I lived or anything. It was like it was on a mission and it was headed somewhere but it was walking um, very quickly and that all happened in the, within the space of probably five to ten seconds, and it was gone. And 
I tell people that story, you know, they say, you believe in Bigfoot? And I'm like, yes, I do, because I saw one, and I want to tell you they're real. Um, but we had incidents the entire time we were in that cabin for a year, and the entire time we were there, the floodlights on the back of it were motion detection floodlights they would flip on. And we had a lot of incidences where, you know, at nighttime, it would be really quiet, the wind wouldn't be blowing, there was nothing out there, and those floodlights would flip on. And we thought, well, maybe it's the raccoon. Thank you, Sarah. Sarah's call actually reminds me to make a quick announcement. When you're calling in, be sure to finish your call. It usually sounds pretty awkward when it just cuts off like that. A lot of people think that I do it. When the fact is, uh, there's a five-minute limit per call. So if it hangs up on you, simply call back and finish your story. I'll take care of the editing. Don't worry about that. Now, as for Sarah's sighting, I've received dozens of these ABC alien big cat sightings over the years. In fact, many of you have probably heard me tell the story a thousand times about the time I saw something quite similar to what Sarah has reported. But while I was listening to Sarah's call, I did a little messing around on the internet, just poking around to see if I could find anything that might correlate to this story. And I actually stumbled upon something. This article was released on March 18th of 2019. It was written by Mark Price. The headline states, Man states he saw a cougar deemed extinct in North Carolina, and others say they've seen it too. Now, one particular segment of this article caught my attention. It was a quote from a biologist named Brad Howard that lives in North Carolina. This pretty much sums up the opinion of most of these eastern states that swear none of these creatures do and can exist. Here's that quote. At some point in time over the last 100 years, a cat would have been hit by a car, shot by someone, or otherwise documented coming into the state, Howard wrote. So while the stories are fun and the legends are as old as our state, the legendary cat of the mountains and the swamps is just that, a legend. Well, I can't argue with Mr. Howard's assessment. Certainly, if there was a population of these creatures, one of those things would have happened over the past 100 years. But having seen one of these things myself, I can tell you that something is out there. Just don't know what it is. Thank you again, Sarah, for taking the time to share that. I'm not real sure where the next story hails from, but I know that Christian is the man that submitted it. Here's his story. Hi, uh, I'm, I just started listening to your show pretty recently, uh, and I got to episode five of season three, and you were talking to this guy named Josh, and uh, it was about uh, hearing voices and ghosts in a movie theater and stuff like that, and uh, one of the ghosts said his name. So I don't remember exactly which this was when it happened, but I, I think it was around uh, seven or eight, I want to say, and it's, it's a really quick story, but uh, it was... Uh, it was basically that uh, I heard three voices one night uh, all saying my name at once. Two of them, the first two, were women's voices, and they sounded very uh, lovely, very safe, I guess. And the third one was the one that uh, kind of freaked me out a bit because it sounded 
serpentine almost, like I guess, or reptilian in a way. Um, and I was at this point laying in bed, lights were off. Uh, I don't think I was even close to sleep. So, um, it, it's just, uh, something that I think about sometimes. <laughs> Um, I'm not sure what it was. Maybe it was two angels and a demon, or maybe it was just my imagination. But it's, uh, yeah, it just kind of jogged my memory is uh, hearing those stories. Uh, love the podcast. If you need a name, it's Christian. You can use that. I don't mind. But, yeah, keep up the good work, man. Thank you, Christian. Well, it really seems that any time you would hear a disembodied voice calling your name, it would be pretty much terrifying. But if that voice was reptilian in nature, it was downright nightmare fuel. Thank you, Christian, for sharing that short, sweet submission. Judging by the running time in these next few calls, short and sweet has nothing to do with them. To kick things off, we're going to begin with Rhonda from Parts Unknown. Hey Derek, Sarah, Addie, all of us amongsters out there. I figured I would call in with something that just occurred just the other day. This is Rhonda Kitchen. And I was going about the duties of taking care of the house, cleaning, you know, stripping the bed, remaking it, that kind of thing. I came, I was stripping our bed and the master bedroom and was getting ready to remake it. And I looked down in between the top right-hand corner of the bed, which is against the wall, and the nightstand. And I saw this, like, I don't know, like, semicircle, like, gold semicircle, and I recognized it as the top of, like, a small mason jar. So I went over, and I thought, well, you know, how did this get here? Not, you know, not really thinking anything creepy, spooky, paranormal, nothing. I just, I thought, okay, maybe... You know, maybe my fiance had done it. Maybe one of the dogs had done it, whatever. I went over and I picked it up and immediately dropped it. Um, thank God it didn't smash. It fell on the bed, actually. And I immediately called for my fiance because I honestly, with all of the different things that I have witnessed in my life, I could not believe that I was actually seeing what I was seeing. It literally freaked me out really bad. And so my fiance comes running into the room and he said, what's wrong? What's wrong? Cause I screamed for him and he saw what I saw, which was this small jar that we had bought originally full of honey from, um, La Masia, which is the historical district district in Las Cruces, New Mexico. And there was a farmer's market art, craft vendor kind of fair going on there in the little square and um we had used all of the honey out of the jar i had rinsed it out because mason jars you can always use them for stuff right buttons whatever and <clears throat> i put it on the back side of the sink a few weeks prior to this and it was that same little honey jar but it had urine in it at least that's what it looked like. I kept saying to myself, oh, please let this be apple cider. Please let this be a joke. Please let this be apple cider and please let this be a joke. But my fiance, who in some instances, most instances, is much braver than I am. He went over and picked it up with a 
like a towel, kind of like a hand towel, and um, took it into the bathroom. Of course, me following quick on his heels, and he undid the lid, rose it, you know, brought it up to his nose, and it was, in fact, urine. Um, he went to go pour it out. I said, no, 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 don't pour that out. I was like, we need to have that checked. I said, you know, somebody's, you know, somebody's broken in. Something has happened. And he said, no, you're right. Because about a week prior, there was a person in our backyard that my dogs both scared away. Thankfully enough, they were here with me and home. But um, I just, I kept going back to that. Well, I took it over to the police station. That day I, I went and got my shoes on and I took it over there. I said, I'm not waiting. This is ridiculous. Um, they had a, a officer come out and he inspected the house. He looked all around, nothing untoward. The, the back door, which was, which is in our bedroom, which is weird. It was never, the bolt was never thrown or anything like that. So again, I took it over to the police station and let them know what happened. They conducted a investigation. They did a primary urinalysis on it, and the urine came back as unspecified. I said to the person that I was speaking with, they asked me if I wanted my jar back. Um, no. And I said, what do you mean unspecified? They said, well, in a primary urinalysis, like this, like it's a very basic urinalysis. They said that they could not ascertain whether or not the urine was bovine, canine, feline, human. They could not, they couldn't specify what it was. And I said, okay. I said, I mean, there was plenty of urine. Trust me when I tell you the little jar was full of it. And I, I was, I, I was shocked. I was, I just said, well, you know, how, how does this happen? And they said, well, we aren't really sure. We don't know if maybe the urine was degraded. We, you know, we, we really never come across anything like this. And I think that they were scratching their heads as much as we were. So fast forward to last night. And this is where it gets scary. Sorry. We were asleep in bed and I woke up and I, I just felt something and I didn't know, if it, you know, like how when you have small children and they're like right there just staring at your face while you're sleeping because they want Pop-Tarts or something. Well, that was the feeling I got. And sometimes my puppy will come and just stare at me. But he wasn't there and neither were any small children, thank God, because that would have really freaked me out. Um I just kind of rolled over and I was at that point facing the doorway of the bedroom and I saw um, something I've never seen before. Um, it was black, completely black. It was up in on the ceiling of the doorway, like as if it was in this on the ceiling of the hallway really and was kind of like so it was upside down it looked like it was almost a spider kind of like it had very long extremities its head was I would say normal size 
I don't know what normal is in these situations, but I can tell you that I just laid there and I just thought to myself, just close your eyes. It's not really there. Just close your eyes. So I closed my eyes for a minute and I opened them after, I don't know, maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds, something like that. And it was still there, except for this time it was standing up in the doorway. And there was a, there's light from the office across the hall that was backlighting it, that was illuminating it. It didn't come through it. It didn't like reveal any kind of skin texture, nothing. It was just there. And I really didn't know what to do. My brain just kind of went all sorts of wonky. Logically, I knew that there was something in the doorway of my bedroom. I knew that I was awake. I reached out and I kind of just nudged my fiance's back. Um, He's a pretty heavy sleeper. And so he didn't wake. I just, I really didn't know what to do, honestly. Um, So I just, I thought, just ignore it. Sure, just ignore it. And I closed my eyes again. And I'm not one for pain. But I just kind of said, please make this thing go away. Please, please, please make this thing go away. And I opened my eyes. And it was gone. So this morning I said to my fiance, I said, um, did you happen to hear or see anything weird last night? You know, any kind of strangeness? And he was like, no. I said, okay. And I explained to him what had happened. And he said, he said, well, you know, remember the other night we were watching that show on crime about the UFOs and everything. And a friend of ours was over at the house and he said, oh my God, that'd be so cool to be abducted by aliens. And I looked at him and I said, no, I don't know that it would be. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be a human guinea pig. That just doesn't appeal to me, you know? And he was like, oh, come on, you know, know, we know that they're out. I said, knowing that they're there, and actually encountering one of them or being taken by one of them or, you know, what have you. Completely different. Apples to oranges, man. Apples to oranges. And he was like, oh, you're a big Frady cat. Now, he doesn't know. I don't know him that well. And he doesn't know all of the things that I've seen in my life. So Frady cat's not something that most people would. That's not a term that somebody would call me normally. Um, but when it comes to UFOs, Aliens, you know, fourth kind, I I just, I'm all set. Um, So I'm hoping that I never, I'm hoping that I never forget or I never see. I want to forget. I don't ever want to see one of those things again. I was scared to death. So anyway, um, that's what happened. I don't know that aliens or extraterrestrials would go around just urinating in jars. But it just seemed a little bit of a coincidence. I don't know. I checked with all of the Bruharias in this area, 
and nobody really does hoodoo or voodoo like that. There would be many more other things involved in a ritual, more than just urine. There'd be like, you know, chicken hearts or whatever in the urine. It's um, rather involved, but so I'm not really sure what to think. Anyway, talk to you guys soon. Have a happy new year. Thank you, Rhonda. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that the police could probably just keep that jar. Now you can hear the raw emotion in Rhonda's voice. I can detect the effect that this experience has had on her. But I have to admit, I'm curious why aliens were the first thing to be blamed for this encounter. If it was just the nighttime experience that Rhonda had, I think I'd probably chalk this up to sleep paralysis. Now I realize she said she moved a few times and nudged her husband and closed her eyes. Maybe that stuff was imagined. But then, there's that jar of urine. And that's a sentence I never thought I would say on this program. But it is perplexing, and it doesn't exactly remind me of ghostly activity. I can't think of a single case where someone found a jar of urine that they blamed on a ghost. But I have heard of cases where different substances would ooze out of the walls and drip from the ceiling. So at least in those cases, those entities were able to manifest some sort of liquid. So maybe that's what's going on here with Rhonda. Maybe there's some sort of spiritual activity at work here. A haunting, if you will. Either way, Rhonda, I know you're big into the Facebook group, the Facebook page, so maybe we can find some help for you there. Just reach out to us. Thanks again, Rhonda, for sharing that call. I'm going to keep these announcements extremely short, but i got to get through them real fast. If you have a sighting you would like to share, call the hotline at one 888 night That's one 888 Follow us on social media. We have accounts on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit. Addie, Warren, Tony, John, Sarah, and now Josh do a great job of keeping up with all this stuff. So go over and poke around today. And lastly, please don't forget about the Kickstarter campaign we have going for this uh, documentary that I'm trying to put together. David Flora from Blurry Photos and I are trying to get this thing fully funded. We're incredibly close to our goal but we would really love to hit some of those stretch goals to allow us to do the things we really want to do. So if it sounds like something you'd be interested in, simply search Shadows in the Desert at kickstarter.com and we should show up. All right. I think that's enough announcements for one night. Let's move on to our next call of the evening. The following comes to us from Connor, all the way from Ireland. Hi Derek, uh, my name is Connor. I'm calling from Dublin in Ireland. Uh, I'm a huge fan of the show. I uh, love the podcast, listen to it all the time. So to give you a quick synopsis of my story, it actually takes place in San Francisco in 2010. Uh, a group of friends and I had traveled from Ireland to the northwest of America with a friend of ours who was from there. She invited us over to her home for Thanksgiving. And from there, we drove down the west coast of America, you know, through California, and eventually over to Vegas and back up to Portland. So 
The incident I'm looking for some maybe uh, help from your listeners from takes place, as I said, in San Francisco in 2010. So we've been in the downtown area of San Francisco for about three or four days. And um, the group of seven of us had been out for a meal. And we were kind of walking back to the hostel that we were staying in at the time. Obviously, we didn't have a lot of money, so we were trying to take things as cheap as possible. And one of my friends and I had kind of hung back a little bit. So the rest of the group were maybe 500 yards ahead of us or so. And it was just myself and my friend walking behind. So we're walking behind. We're, we're talking. We maybe had one or two beers, nothing too crazy. We're walking along. And across the street from us uh, is kind of a, a vacant parking lot, it looked like. So as we're walking along, out of one of the shadows appears initially what I thought was a bear. Um, it was on all fours. Now, we don't have bears or, or anything large like that over in Ireland. So... My automatic assumption was, okay, that's a bear, that's kind of cool and kind of weird. So I nudged my friend and I pointed over and said, oh, God, look at that over there. And as we're staring at it, I realized it definitely wasn't a bear. So I'd say it was on all fours, but it seemed to be walking on four knuckles, completely covered in hair. What I would say it looked like to me was a giant sloth. So it looked exactly like a sloth, but with a dog's head. So I'd say if it was on all fours, it was about maybe three and a half foot, four foot tall on all fours, had a really long neck, maybe neck from the distance we were at of about 100 yards, the neck looked to be approximately two feet long, but it had a tapered dog's head, like a long snout, real, real tapered head, and its ears jet black and back. The whole thing was black. So we're walking across this kind of long, kind of shaggy-ish hair. It's walking across, two of us are kind of staring, looking at it. My friend said, is that a giant raccoon? I said, I think it's maybe a malformed bear or something. Neither of us knew. It didn't pay any attention to us. It just trotted across the car park and then just dissipated into the background. It didn't walk into a shadow. It didn't, you know, scurry off into surrounding businesses or, or anything like that. It appeared from a shadow, trotted across the car park that was very well lit. We could both see it clearly. And then it just kind of dissipated out of existence, kind of faded away and went off. So obviously, you know, my son and my friend were completely flabbergasted by this. We didn't know what it was. You know, when we obviously explained what we'd seen to uh, the rest of our friends who couldn't see it, they were further up the street and then maybe turned the corner or whatever at this point, kind of laughed at us and made a few jokes and whatnot. But yeah, I just thought I'd, I'd share that little story with you. Maybe potentially some of your listeners have seen something similar or maybe can give me a, a rational or logical explanation for it. But well, that's it. I uh, love the show. Big fan. And thanks very much to all the good work you do and to all your listeners and contributors. Uh, have a great day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Connor. I appreciate you calling long distance. But a reminder to everyone out of the country and overseas, you can simply record your message on your phone and email it to me. Save yourselves a few bucks. Now, I've recently read about mountain lions that have been seen within the city limits of San Francisco. So surely bears can venture in as well. So could it have been what Connor originally thought it was? A malnourished bear. What else could it be? I can't think of any native species to California that fits these characteristics. So like Connor, I'm going to turn to you guys. I did a little poking around before I started recording here, but I didn't notice any sort of dogman encounters or werewolf encounters from the city of San Francisco. Maybe some of you locals out there have heard of something and can share with us. Either way, Connor, thank you for sharing that submission. Absolutely love stories like that. And that brings us to our final call of the evening. And this one takes place in the Pacific Northwest. 
Oregon to be exact, and was submitted by Eric. Hey Derek, my name's Eric. Um, I'm calling from Oregon. I apologize for not getting this call to you in time to make it to your outdoorsmen and outdoors people episodes. But uh, yeah, I changed jobs recently and I wasn't allowed to be listening to podcasts for a while. So I got really far behind, which is unfortunate because I love your show. But anyway, I'm back to being able to listen to podcasts at work and I'm getting caught up again and realizing I think I missed a great opportunity to add something to your outdoorsman's call. But anyway... I'm going to give it to you anyway because I think it's a good one. So here's the story. All right, so this was uh, December 2005. It's winter break. I'm a senior in high school. Um, this is up out in a suburb outside of Portland, Oregon. And we used to go, you know, me and a lot of my friends used to go camping a lot in Mount Hood National Forest. There's a lot of, like, little dirt roads and, you know, forest roads uh, off of the various highways out there in Mountain National Forest. You can just find good little pullouts and good places to look at the stars, good, you know, just places to go out and basically get away from your parents and drink beer and hang out and just party in the woods for a night or two. And so we used to do that a lot when we got older and all had, you know, cars and trucks of our own. And it's early December, yeah, right about winter break time. And we decided we're all going to go out. There's about 12 of us, 10 or 12 of us, and we're all going to go out to the woods, you know, have do a camp out. So we all get in there. We need three cars worth of people. You know, there was a... Uh, so we go driving out off of uh, Clackamas Highway, Highway 211, outside of Estacada. It's about 10 or 15 miles outside of Estacada on Clackamas Highway 211. And we turn left on this road called Fork Road. It's a, you know, just to pave for like, I don't know, a mile or two. And then it's just gravel and it winds up into the mountains there out in Mountain National Forest. And we've been up there a couple of times before and we knew a really good camp spot. It was about, you know, it's probably like 10 miles up. And it's a pretty deserted road, even though it's not that far away from civilization. I mean, like I said, you know, Estacada is a small town, but it's probably 10, 12, 15 miles from Estacada. And, uh, so we're driving up there and it's, it's, it's been raining a lot, you know, on the way out there, it's Portland in the winter. So of course it's raining. Estacada is not that far from Portland. So it's raining, it's good rain. And, but we're, we had a ton of beer and, you know, we were determined to go, you know, there, we had girl, you know, guys had their girlfriends with them and, you know, we were, we were determined to have a good time. And, you know, we're from Portland, rain ain't going to stop us. So we're driving up. We make the left on Fork Road, and we get in. It's a steep road, winds up and down the hill, switchbacks. Starts to snow, and we're thinking, oh, maybe we should go somewhere else. You know, maybe we should go back down. No, you know, let's keep going. So we stop once to kind of talk about it in the lead car. So again, so there's three cars. There's a car in front of me with four guys in it. There's a, I'm in the middle car uh, with five of us i'm in the middle seat in the back and then there's a car behind us with four more people in it we're going convoy we stop like we should go should we go should we not go oh let's go so we go it's snowing it's starting to snow pretty deep by this time we're probably like six miles seven miles up there and by this time i mean you're there's like this road doesn't go to anybody's houses doesn't go to a town it just goes way up into the hills 
and kind of branches off into various little gravel roads that all sort of like dead end or meet back up with each other. But, you know, you go like 10 miles before you can get there. And it's a 10 miles to switch back and up this hill. And it doesn't go anywhere. There's no turns off. But, um, so we're driving up there. We decided to keep going. The flakes are coming down big. It's really starting to snow. And some of the girls are kind of like not into it. Like, we, we should go back. Some of the guys are like, nah, we're like, let's keep going though, you know? So we keep going and we're making this turn and it's dark by this time. It's like 7.30, so it's pitch black outside. And we're making this hard right turn and we come around the corner and there's these two guys like coming from the side of the road and they're walking out just popping out into the road in front of the lead car. And I can see clearly because I'm in the middle seat, back middle seat of the middle car. And we come around this corner, snow's really falling, right? And we see these two guys come out of the woods. And it's clearly guys, they're like, you know, average height. And they're both wearing two black trench coats, both in black trench coats. One guy's got a shovel in his hand and the other guy has a baseball bat. And they're not wearing snow boots. They're just wearing like normal, you know, lace-up tennis shoes. And like one of them's wearing jeans and the other one was wearing like black pants. And they're both wearing big black trench coats. Neither of them have hats on. Like black curly hair on the first one. Second one had like short brownish hair. And they don't look at the car in front of us. They don't look at any of us. They just walk across like, you know, just leisurely pace like they're out walking in the snow but they don't have appropriate gear they don't have flashlights they don't have a headlamp on and they're carrying a shovel and a freaking baseball bat and they don't look at us and they just walk across the road in front of us and walk down into the hill and it's a, i mean this road is on a steep hill like this is a steep hill like to walk down on the right side it's a super steep angle like it's hard to walk through and this is thick oregon timber forest thick forest like walking through that when it's not snowy is hard and walking through it with you know eight ten twelve inches of snow ground is i mean it's almost impossible at that angle and then they just walk into the left side of the road which is super steep downhill angle and they just disappear and we all stop you know because the car in front of us stops to let these guys walk by and everyone's like looking at each other like oh did you see that and it's like yeah i fucking saw that like you know where everybody's just flipping out i mean we're in high school like you know a bunch of 16 17 18 year olds and we're all just like freaking out so we keep going you know because the lead car we don't have i mean you know cell phones don't work out there and only a couple of us had cell phones at the time because it's 2005 the lead car keeps going like kind of fast you know our friends in the car kind of fast because he's probably freaked out so we pull up like you know we go another like half mile where we can all turn around because there's a one-lane gravel road we all kind of like are like did everybody see that and we all you know everybody saw it like you know Everybody that could see it, the back car, the car that was behind us, they didn't really see it. Only the driver of that car saw it because they didn't have a good enough angle. And they were all like, whoa, 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 what, do you, what happened? Like, what did y'all just say you saw? Like, do you guys in trench go? And it was just so weird because, like, they, I mean, there was no car. Like, we didn't see a truck, you know, anywhere near where they were. Like, the nearest crossroads or any other roads would have been super far away. Okay, so we all talk about it. And we're like, whoa, 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 whoa what the heck? And there's like, there's no truck by any of the, you know, by where we saw them. There was no car. There was no like real fresh tracks. You know, there was no where, where they could have been like hiding. It was just so weird. 
like it was so weird and they didn't look at us and they just like the way they walked like they were so ca- i mean i guess it's like you know it's possible they were just like out there like waiting around to like scare people but like it was it was just, like freezing I mean, it was like it was like 30 you know 28 30 degrees like they weren't dressed that well for the weather like i said they didn't have snow boots like maybe they had stuff like stashed in the woods but like they were so far up the mountain too and like there was no turnoffs for them to hide and like i went back since then because you know we decided like basically the story you know is like we decided screw this we're not freaking camping up here where we just saw that and we all turned the cars around booked it back down the hill went all the way back down the clackamas highway 211 went to a different road like you know 15 miles away ended up camping out there um, but we couldn't stop talking about it all night and i've told this story you know probably five or six maybe seven times to different groups of people and every time, you know, people are like, what the heck were those people doing? And we can never come up with it because it's like, if they were just out there trying to scare people, like, what, why? Like, what was the point? Like, they, we were, like I said, we were like seven, eight miles up this deserted road that, like, there was no guarantee anyone's even going to come up there. Like, it was a Thursday night, too. I remember that. It was a weeknight because we were on winter break. So it's like, people aren't even out there that much on the weekend, let alone on the week. You know, there's like, what why would you do that like what was the point like they weren't dressed well enough to be and it was so weird the way that they moved like they just moved casually and so strangely as if like they didn't even care that we were there like they weren't trying to draw any attention to us. like they weren't trying to get our attention they didn't need help like they just disappeared into the woods and were like gone so yeah it was creepy man it was super scary like i don't know what the deal was like i've told the story i said a couple times like the best you know, we've tried to come up with different things. Like maybe they were ghosts of like, maybe they were burying a body. Like maybe they were screwing around playing a, you know, joke. Like, I don't know. We've never been able to figure it out. And, uh, my best friend still to this day was in the lead car. You know, we, we talk about it a lot. I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago about this and yeah, we had no idea, man. So, weird road out there i've seen other weird things out there i'll call you again sometime and tell you another weird story about that road but um yeah man i like to just love your show i'm sorry i couldn't get to see you on time but hope to hear it on the air someday and i hope you have a lovely lovely night thanks derek thank you eric now eric mentions the outdoorsman episode every now and then i try to do themed shows Outdoorsman, back to school, that kind of thing. Recently we did First Responders, and that was a lot of fun. Well, I think it's time to set up another one of these special episodes. So why don't we do military stories? So if you've served in the military, and it doesn't have to be just the United States, please share your story with us. And when you do so, please use the term military story very early on in your call so that I can do a search and easily find them. Now, what a wild story. I picture a scene straight out of one of my favorite films, The Road to Perdition. Now, it really doesn't take much imagination to think that maybe these are mobster types. They're in the forest to dispose of a body. A snitch, perhaps. But, as Eric mentioned, there were no cars. There was nowhere for them to come from. And it was strange that they didn't react to the cars that drove up on them. And as he also mentioned, there didn't seem to be any sign of the two gentlemen once they disappeared. So I can't help but wonder if these two gentlemen 
were in fact ghosts. Perhaps cursed to re-perform their dastardly deed night after night, making the long walk back to their car from their body disposal site. In other words, the prime example of residual haunting. Well, I'll tell you what, Eric. I agree it could have been any of the things that you suggested. But for now, we're all simply left wondering. So thank you again for taking the time to share. And hopefully, like you said, there's a listener out there that just might be able to shed some light on this situation. And that's going to do it for this episode. But before I go, I'd just like to take a quick second to thank all the medical professionals out there keeping us safe and healthy. You are certainly in my thoughts, and I truly appreciate everything that you're doing at this time. Please stay safe. Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. Additional support is provided by Addie Lloyd and Sarah Carter Hayes. And that creepy music you're hearing? Let's co.ag. Thank you so much for listening, and until next week. Well, tonight's bonus call isn't a call at all. It's in fact a poem. A poem submitted by one of Monsters Among Us's biggest fans. The following was written and performed by Izzy in the state of Wyoming. Thank you, Izzy. Now, everyone, have a great night. There's a dark shadow under the bed. There's glowing red eyes I always dread. And knows my secrets and some of my most awful traits. And knows what I dread, regret, what I fear for the most awful fate. It's dark and hairy and when I turn out the light, it comes alive and doesn't go away till it's morning and the clock strikes five. There's nowhere you can hide, it's everywhere, and something I just can no longer bear. It keeps me awake at night and I try to show that there's no fright. But it's there and you can't get rid of it and this monster is night.